Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. So when did food trucks explode in popularity? If you're from California or describe yourself as a foodie, you may point to celebrity chef Roy Choi, whose fusion food trucks in L.A. became a hit back in 2012 with tacos filled with Korean barbecue. The Koji Korean barbecue trucks also use social media to connect with people, to highlight their food and their locations. Today, where we live, we check in with food trucks owned and operated here in Connecticut. Coming up, we'll hear about a food truck park slated to open in West Hartford. And we'll also swing down to the city of New Haven, where food trucks have made Long Wharf a popular destination. Now, in a city known for its restaurant scene, is owning a food truck a smart business move? We'll also learn how officials there are working with mobile food vendors. First, we wanted to hear from residents who know what it's like to own a food truck. Now, Elm Street in Hartford, right by the state capitol, is one of the places to find several food trucks during the work week. But when we we drove over there on Tuesday, we were surprised to only see one. Are you a regular food truck customer? Do you wish your town or city had more of them? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. I want to welcome into our studio, uh, first, Eric Stagel, who's chef uh, Kraft Bird Food Truck, specializes in serving gourmet fried chicken sandwiches to the lunch crowd at Hartford State House Square. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Lucy, for having me. Also in studio with me is G. Tran, who's owner of Hartford's Bon Mi restaurant. It's on Capitol Avenue. And he actually started his business as a food truck. G., welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having us. So, Eric, before you opened your or your food truck, so to speak, you were a chef, uh, some well-known restaurants, including executive chef at Barcelona. How'd you get your start? Um, well, I've... Uh, <laughs> been chefing for, I don't know, 20 years now. Um, I grew up in Colorado, um, bounced around there for some time, uh, went out to Seattle and Pacific Northwest, spent a few years there, and then uh, made my way out here to the East Coast in New England. Um, and I actually love it here. So I'm here to stay and hopefully build Craft Bird into something bigger than it is. So how many years have you lived in Connecticut? Um, I've been here 12 years. So you made a point to say that you love it here because oftentimes there's a lot of negativity in the state of Connecticut. And you lived in places that people might look and say, you know what, we should be more like Seattle or maybe Denver, Colorado. Um, yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot, too. But, um, you know, I built a reputation out here, a name for myself. And, you know, I really enjoy it. I do get to travel back to Colorado quite frequently and see family. Um, so, you know, best of both worlds, I guess. But why the food industry? Because it's hard work. It is very hard work. Um, it's just what I'm good at and what I what I love. Um, I love making people good food and watching them eat it and appreciating it. So to me, it's it's a great feeling. Does it free up uh, your uh, your time during the day having a food truck versus working as a head chef at a popular restaurant? <laughs> um, sometimes um, there's there's longer days like today. I will be uh, we're going to be at Manchester Hospital for lunch, and then I'll be at Xfinity uh, Theater for Florida Georgia Line. So today's a rough one, you know. 
probably a 14, 15 hour day. So so uh, tell us about when you opened up your food truck again. It's the Craft Bird food truck. And Correct. what did you have to do to get it up and running? Um, I mean, there's a lot of small things go into it. Um, G and I were talking about this in the uh, in the waiting room while we were waiting. You know, permitting, um, health permits, vendor applications, it can all be very confusing and a lot of extra work. Um, so I, I, you know, it's one of the it's one of the things that you have to do to operate a food truck. Uh, we just try to take, you know, try to figure out what's best for 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 our business. Um, so we, we try to do yearly to, yearly um, health permits, um, vendor applications for the whole year instead of doing one by one for the city temporary stuff. And we'll be getting into the whole permitting process, which does sound complicated. Uh, but gee, let me, I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the food industry. Um, it was I mean, not a, a regular path, no, so to no. speak. <laughs> no, no, my, my past career was in, uh, in sales. Um, I got into the food industry to, to prove a point. Uh, you know, I traveled a lot in my life. And then when the food scene blew up, I said, why wasn't, why isn't there, you know, a Vietnamese food truck anywhere? Um, another reason is, you know, I didn't realize there's no nationwide Vietnamese brand either. So maybe it was either wasn't been done or couldn't have been done. So that's the reason why I got into the food scene. You know, we started as a food truck to test the concept. You know, I didn't realize how hard it was to open a food truck because if I would have known now, I probably would have went straight into a restaurant based on my my personal experience. Um, but that's the reason why I got into the food scene. Now, you're actually from California. When mm-hmm. I mentioned Roy Choi, mm-hmm. uh, tell us about the scene in L.A., much different than what you might see in Long Wharf. Yeah, so about a month after I opened my food truck, it was failing. So I figured, you know, maybe I was doing something wrong. Um, th- and I had nobody here to help me. So, and there was no concept I could mirror over here. So I had to go to California and I visited all, all the food truck. The big difference was their food truck basically operated as restaurants. They were open all day long. I mean... Seven in the morning when I woke up to eight o'clock at night, the same food truck was parking the same street. So they they could stay in business the whole day versus, you know, Hartford being a lot of places you have a one and a half, two hour period where you really make all your money. No one eats before 11. No one eats after 1.30. And in some cases like Elm Street, you couldn't even park there after two or before 10. So that's that's why. And, you know. I think other areas are a lot different than Connecticut as far as like a food truck scene. Mm. You mentioned Elm Street. Uh, mm. Obviously, that's very dependent on uh, mm. state workers. Mm. But in the summer, I, I'd mentioned Scott Breedy and I, the producer, went down there, mm. and there was literally one food truck at lunchtime. We were pretty surprised to see that. So, so from what, from my personal experience, I didn't realize that in certain cities you need a certain permit to park in certain streets. Uh, Elm Street's one of them. Um, when we opened as a food truck, we started in Newington, uh, and we couldn't sustain our business in Newington, so I decided to bring the food truck to Hartford. I thought that all you have to do is get the health permit, and you're set to go. Um, but Hartford has restrictions. You can't park on a certain street. You can't park certain hours. Um, I heard of Elm Street. I'd never even been there before. So I went to the t- town zoning and planning, and I said, I, can I get a permit to park there? Well, they dragged it along after about five months, I still couldn't get a permit. And it's not a free permit. It's a permit you pay for. I think the fees is 1500 for that permit. Yeah, you buy it. Uh, you do eight months stint for, I believe it's $800, and then the other winter months is $400. Yeah, so. yeah so, and, and even though it was a pretty big fee, they weren't handing it out like candy. They were, being, they, they, were telling, they were telling me, you can't get it now. We're reworking the system. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then by then, winter came. Mm. 
Uh, this is where we live. Today we're learning more about the food truck uh, industry, mobile food vendors. Again, that's rising in popularity. Uh, in studio with me is Eric Stegel, who's a chef, and he has a craft bird food truck specializing in gourmet fried chicken, uh, serves lunch uh, at Hartford State House Square. Also, G. Tran's with us. He started his business as a food truck. Now he's owner of Hartford's Bon Mi restaurant right on Capitol Avenue. Um, if you have uh, checked out uh, either of these places, you can join us, too, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. Uh, Eric, I'm curious uh, in terms of, of the permitting. So I'm just curious, what, what, what kind of um, experience did you have going to City Hall to get your permits? Um, well, actually, uh, uh, my partner Mallory kind of, uh, dealt with that. Um, but I heard all the backlash on it and how much of a pain it can be. Um, you know, each city is different. Each cost is different, whether you get a yearly permit or you get a temporary permit. Um, you're dealing with the fire department, the police department, and it can be, it can be, um, it can be grueling. You can be going back and forth from these places one to two to three times trying to get a, a permit for whatever town you're trying to work in. So it's, it's not the uh, it's not the glamorous part, that's for sure. So you have helped to deal with that. Um, when we think about the cost, I mean, how does that cut into your bottom line? <laughs> I mean, it definitely does. Um, yeah. I mean, for example, last night we uh, we were at Third Thursday in Willimantic. It's a festival they do every Third Thursday in the summertime. Um, usually the permits are need to be in a month in advance. We missed that month mark, so it went from $100 to $150 uh, very quickly. Uh, and then it rained. So, yeah, you can imagine that it was not that busy. So... And, gee, when you did your research and you look at other places that um, have food trucks, other big cities, uh, what are some alternatives or proposals that you think could work and help uh, small business owners? Well, I mean, short term, I think changing the permitting system would help um, food truck operators and even restaurants. Um, You know, I'll use an example. Like, I own a restaurant now versus a food truck. But even though I own a restaurant in Hartford, I can't do events in Hartford because I'm not a mobile vendor. So every time I do an event, like I, we're doing an event for the Dragon Boat Race, um, I have to pay a $75 permit fee for just the health permit. And again, if you're late, the city of Harvard charges you $125. Now, they're pretty lenient because obviously there's a lot of last-minute stuff. But I think that Harvard, being the capital of Connecticut, should be you know the benchmark or, or the standard for how health permits are done. You know, If you have a health permit in the city of Harvard and you want to do business in, let's say, Manchester, well, you shouldn't have to get a Manchester health health permit. You should get like an add-on. Like, so you already paid five hundred to the city of Hartford or four hundred to the city of Hartford. Why couldn't you just pay a hundred to the city of Manchester, and then at that point you have the capability to do business in Manchester? Because a lot of times you don't do like when we were a food truck. A lot of breweries would ask us to go do their breweries, and we I would say no because when I found out what the temporary health permit cost, some it was thirty bucks, some was seventy five, some was fifty. We just couldn't do it because it was a brewery in the middle of nowhere, and we're, we couldn't take the risk of spending all this money to ha- sell five people. So you have to pick and choose where you think you'll get the most business, the Correct. most bang for your buck, so to speak. I should mention that uh, the producer did reach out to uh, the Hartford Mayor's Office and the Permits Division just to learn more about mm-hmm. the permitting process. We did not hear back. Uh, but I'm curious, besides the permits, you know, you also have to get a reliable set of wheels. How much does that cost? And in terms of prep, how do you know how much to make so that you're not dealing with spoilage? Eric? Um, um, well, we're actually a really busy food truck. So... 
Uh, we prep, you know, this this similar amount each week. Um, we're out at least six days a week. Um, and we built our own commissary kitchen in East Hartford. So, you know, I come and go as I please. Um, I shop by myself. Um, I write the prep list. So, you know, we we seem to go through the food. We don't waste anything. Um, I buy from a lot of local farms. So, you know. But your uh, experience working in restaurant kitchens probably plays a factor in knowing, you know, like exactly what you need to do to make sure you're not wasting. I, I definitely think it helps. Yes. Yes. So, G, you went into uh, the restaurant business now. Yeah. So, I mean, what's your take on people who may be thinking about it or, um, you know, who have uh, food trucks now for them to be sustainable? I mean, now that I own a restaurant, I, I think a food truck is a good extension of a restaurant. Um, you know, Eric is a lot different than my my path. Eric had food cooking experience. Um, he knew catering was the, 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 the pathway to be profitable. I didn't know any of that. Um, you know, in the beginning, like you asked Eric the question of food spoilage. Um, I used to think that, you know, selling out of food too quickly was felt bad. But then I realized throwing away, you know, 80 serving of noodles felt worse because you're like, you know, what do you do? Do you sell out and not make money or do you have to throw away every food you you prep because you don't have a a restaurant to sell through now if you have a restaurant and a food truck you can sell the food you don't sell on the uh, on the food truck through the restaurant the next day you know there's no there's minimal wastage um but as far as like getting into the business i i I mean i just say just jump in i mean if if you fail you fail and then you can start over but you really don't know until you try i mean when i started 90 percent of the people told me I would fail. And, you know, a year and a half later, we're looking for our second store. Um, the one thing I, I, I always tell people, I joke around, is don't listen to your friends. Because everybody always says, my friends love my food. They come over and eat all my food all the time. It's because they didn't pay for it. Once you start charging the money, trust me, they're not going to be at your house every day. <laughs> you need to test on real people and real customers. Yeah. So, Eric, tell me about your customers. Who are they and what kind of food are they looking for? I mentioned you specialize in gourmet fried chicken. So what does that mean exactly? Um, well, we um, when we originally started, uh, we went through several concepts trying to figure out what would mass appeal, um, and chicken was the winner. Um, so we do a boneless, skinless, um, marinated buttermilk fried chicken thigh sandwich. Um, it's very unique. Uh, we also offer chicken nuggets that are also dark meat, um, but people seem to love it. Um, it's, we offer different, um, setups on the chicken sandwich. Uh, we got our original sandwiches, the yard bird pickles and sriracha honey, which, um, we sell a ton of, um, also one of our big sellers is truffle mac and cheese bites. I can't seem to make enough. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to keep going with this and see, see how it goes. And so the secret is really to set your food apart from the next guy. Correct. Or gal. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Gee, I mentioned you own Bon Mi restaurant. So describe this uh, this uh, Vietnamese sandwich. And um, do you think you'll ever attempt another food truck? Or are you done with that? Um, I probably would do another food truck after we get more stores up and running. Um, you know, we started. You know, I was naive when I first started. I said, "Oh, you know, I can make pho so well that I could just sell pho like pho five hundred one, and you know, make a lot of money and, and that's prove." That's the Vietnamese soup. That's the Vietnamese soup. When we started, our our name didn't come from our dishes. Our name just came from I. Everybody was called pho this and pho that. I'm like, well, why don't everybody? No one has ever made a, a banh mi name. 
Um, and with copyright and everything, that's why the, uh, there's three E's. And, and when my girlfriend's hungry, she whines. And that's why I said, by me. Like, <laughs> but. <laughs> Wait a minute. Awesome. What do you do when you whine? <laughs> <You're> hungry. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's why there's three E's at the very end because it was good for marketing and everything. But when we opened the food truck a You're lot. You're in big trouble now, geez. I thought you were married now. Aren't <laughs> oh, you yeah, married? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just got married last weekend. Sorry. <laughs> so my wife now. Um, yeah, we actually didn't make a, a, a banh mi until three months in when it was like a super hot summer month and I was selling two, three bowls of noodles a day. And I'm like, I didn't realize people don't, it wasn't like Vietnamese people where they eat noodles all the time. It wasn't just dictate people's appetite. Seasonal. It's seasonal. Yeah. So I looked for other banh mi places to make my banh mi and I was turned down by pretty much all of them. So at that point I decided to learn how to make everything on my own. So that's why our banh mi, the only thing we don't make is, is the bread, but you know, we pickle the daikon, we make our own mayo, we make our own pate, uh, we make our own chicken ham. Um, so, and and that's, there's a fish sauce that really makes it. Yeah, there's a fish sauce honey glaze that, that I basically mimicked from a, 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 another banh mi place in Boston called Balea. They, they, they sweeten their fish sauce. Um, I use honey because it has a you know more distinct taste and it's a less in sugar and whatnot. But yeah, the Vietnamese banh mi, I think it's basically the next big thing, you know, besides the Roy Choi Chaco. So delicious. <laughs> I'd have one every day if I could. Well, I think we have made our listeners hungry. Uh, Erica, before we end the segment, I'm curious, uh, a lot of people wonder um, if there'll be even more food trucks. What are some of the best communities that support them? Um, some of the best communities that support food trucks. I mean, I've found that Hartford is is pretty awesome place to work, work, work in. Um, I can't think any off any towns off the top of my head that are super supportive. I would love to branch out to New Haven at some point, um, but at this point, like I only have one truck. I can only be in so many places at one time. Uh, but the goal is to to have four or five food trucks um, covering all of Connecticut and reaching into New England. So, hmm. uh, gee, you would disagree. You don't. You don't think that Hartford does a good job supporting food trucks, or at least you did not have that experience. Yeah, I mean, they don't make it too difficult to do. It. I mean, if you have a brain, then you can start a food truck, but they don't encourage it. Um, you know, they don't support it like a city like New Haven that has Long Wharf. I mean, you go there at nine in the morning and there's people eating. Yeah, they you pave. Go, they pave that whole thing yeah. for them. I, I remember it used to be a dirt road. Correct. I yeah. remember 20 years ago, you go there and it was the dirt road, and the town's like, you know, just park your food truck there and sell it. And then, the, you know, the, t- the city saw what was happening. Now you go, there's no generators running. There's parking on both sides. There's no dirt roads. There's trash cans everywhere. And it's a place that people, like, literally would drive through, and on the si- and they kept it far away from restaurants, so it didn't affect the restaurant owners couldn't complain about it. But now that, that Long Wharf is the goal of all food trucks in Connecticut. And it's easy. You know, everybody has designated spots and it's 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 welcoming. Mm. You know, who's going to come on Elm Street at nine o'clock at night to, to try to buy food? Nobody. But if you're hungry at seven o'clock at night when the sun goes down, you're still going to drive to Longworth because even in the middle of winter, you see a few of them out there. Yeah. You know? Diehards. <laughs> and they also have uh, electricity down there. Correct. So you they don't pl- have to worry about a gen- bringing a generator. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, th- again, they make it very easy because, I mean, the number one thing I always hear about food truck is my generator died or the food truck died. Yeah. And the problem is if one of those dies, your food truck is dead. You, know, yeah. you can't do anything. It's yeah. not like a restaurant. If you have a fridge dies, you have another fridge. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, we're going to be talking actually to officials from the city of New Haven in just a little bit. Uh, we did get a question on Facebook. Doreen wants to know, uh, will there be any food truck events this summer in eastern Connecticut? Is that a, a place that you would attempt to try to do business, Eric? Um, I would. I, eastern Connecticut? Name a town. Please. So New London. 
Um, I don't think you'll see me in New London, no. Um, I know they have Sail Fest there, which I would love to be a part of someday. Um, but like I said, we try to – we're keeping it as local as possible, not driving far for the time being. Um, so you can find us in Hartford. Our Instagram page always has our schedule. Yeah. And gee, uh, maybe some final thoughts for uh, people who either own food trucks or are maybe regular customers, uh, ways to support, again, these business owners. Um, just basically visit the store, try their food. Um, you know, a lot of places in Hartford are, are opening in weird locations that, you know, like we open on Capitol Ave, which everybody thought was crazy. Um, so, I mean, you'll find a lot of the greatest food in, in, this, in the weirdest area because there are basically people that know how to cook, but you don't know how to run a business. So they have to open wherever they can. So something that uh, we have noticed is that some local breweries have a food truck uh, that's there a couple of days a week. Is that a, a good way to start if you partner with another business? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely say um, contact all the, your local breweries, uh, contact your local farmer's market, uh, keep the food consistent. You know, unfortunately, you know, everybody's in business to try to survive, right? So a food truck or a brewery is going to pick a food truck with a good brand over a food truck that's brand new. And that's a struggle that we had our first summer. You know, we didn't have a reputation yet, so nobody would want us. And then on the second year, we had a great reputation, but we didn't have a food truck anymore. So I would say just keep your food consistent, and if it's really good, then eventually people will follow. Eric, you want to chime in on that? I totally agree. Um, Keep your food good, you know, customer service good, good price point, and... So what's a good price point for a chicken sandwich, a gourmet chicken sandwich? Um, we have between <laughs> 8 and 11, you know, depending on season. Um, right now we just got some awesome heirloom tomatoes from Sub-Edge Farm. Um, and we're doing, you know, BLT with their tomatoes. And it's, it's phenomenal. Well, I want to thank Eric Stegel again, who owns Craft Bird Food Truck, for coming in. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Lucy. Also, G. Tran, owner of Bon Mi Restaurant on Capitol Avenue. Uh, G., we appreciate your time as well, and we're uh, definitely looking forward to lunch. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> this is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After the break, we take you to New Haven, Connecticut, along Long Wharf, to meet some of the food vendors there and hear from city officials about how they work with these particular business owners. Do you own a food truck? Are you a regular food truck customer? Join our conversation. 860-275-7266 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Little food trucks on the sidewalks sling street meat for pedestrians paying five bucks for a quick lunch between the skyscrapers scraping by. There's hot dogs and euros and falafel This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Have we made you hungry yet? Hi, my name is Jose Azarello. Hector Gonzalez. Alberto Guzman. We're working here to sell uh, fruits, postres. I do like fried pork with otone, I do mofongos, um, I do plantain sandwiches. It comes from clacoyos, sopes, los churros, elotes. I start with my family, with my brother, I'm a, I'm a mom. When it starts, it's hard. It's hard. But now we got everything, little by little, now it's kind of like easy, but when we started, it's so hard, yeah. Since this is a family business, we started off really small, but now we've become what we are right now. We have two food trucks, we're in Long Wharf, and we also have a restaurant, so you definitely need to, like, love your job. It's, I'd say it's one of a kind. 
Those are some of the people we met at Long Wharf in late June. They have food trucks in the city of New Haven. Now, do you head down there on a regular basis for lunch? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Steve Fontana joins us now by phone. He's New Haven's Deputy Economic Development Director. He helped overhaul the city's food vending rules back in 2017. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucy. Great to be with you. So we enjoyed heading down to Long Wharf uh, the other week. We counted about 14 trucks there. It was actually a rainy day, but people were still coming out. And Long Wharf is often discussed as like the place to go for food trucks, but it's just one of, of several areas in your city. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, obviously, most people know Long Wharf because they see it when they drive down 95 or 91 in either direction. And uh, it's been around for quite a while, but you're right. Actually, I have to give a shout-out to some of our other mobile food vendors, as we call them, because we actually have a very thriving cart scene, uh, both on Sachem Street by Ingalls Rink, otherwise known as the Yale Whale, and on Cedar Street right by Yale New Haven Hospital. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, there are actually more vendors uh, outside the hospital than there are on Long Wharf. But uh, those three areas in particular are busy almost all day, every day. And uh, obviously, sometimes it varies in terms of the weather and the time of year and the time of day, and the time of the week. But you're right. If you're on Long Wharf on a Saturday, it is hopping. Thousands of people. No mm-hmm. question. We heard from uh, two uh, food tr- or actually two uh, food industry owners. One owns a restaurant in Hartford. The other has a food truck uh, at, at State House Square. Uh, they say that uh, New Haven really has made it uh, welcoming for uh, vendors, uh, helping to pave that area. You provide electricity. Uh, why, why be so welcoming when you have such a hopping restaurant scene in New Haven? Well, you're right. We do have a very proud foodie history in New Haven. And I think that's part of the reason why we have such a food truck and food cart culture. But the larger issue is that uh, when I started here in 2014, we started getting an increasing number of complaints from people, uh, customers of the vendors themselves, uh, brick-and-mortar restaurants, and even vendors about other vendors. And what we found was the system really wasn't working well, unregulated, unmanaged. So we obviously wanted to provide, and the mayor asked us to provide, a safe, clean, friendly, and happy experience, regardless of where you would choose to eat food. So what we did was we had to try to figure out how we could balance a lot of competing interests. The biggest issue uh, that you mentioned from an infrastructure perspective was Long Wharf was not well managed and maintained. Um, it, was a very, it was a dirt parking lot. People were parking everywhere, running across the street. It was kind of a, a bit of mayhem. So one of the things we did is we secured a state grant to do the infrastructure work down there. And then along with that, we decided let's overhaul the regulatory system that we have when it comes to mobile food vendors. We hadn't actually done it since 2001. And when you think about 2001, that's ages ago when it comes to mobile food vendor culture. So what we did is we said let's improve the infrastructure down Long Wharf, but let's also have a system in place to manage supply and demand because we don't have enough places for everybody who wants to vend in the city to do so um, in a pleasant and friendly and well-managed way. Mm-hmm. So um, you're right. We put electricity down on Long Wharf. We can talk about that in a minute. But we paved it. We put sidewalks in. We put lights, uh, some trees, and basically created a system in what we call our special vending districts, which are uh, Long Wharf, Cedar, Sachem, and downtown to manage supply and demand so that that way we can balance the interests between vendors, 
between vendors and brick and mortar restaurants and make sure that you know we're creating an opportunity for people to go into this form of business, make money, provide a great experience, but do it in a way that doesn't create a lot of ongoing complaints and controversy and conflict. Mm-hmm. So give us an idea. How much do these uh, permits or licenses cost? And you know, how much money does the city make from this when you also have to deal with enforcement? Sure. Well, uh, statewide, I believe, you, have to, you can pay as much as $200 per year to the municipality in which you wish, wish to vend for a vendor uh, permit or license. And then separately, you have to pay for your health inspection from the local health department. Um, and that usually runs about 250 bucks. So just to become a vendor generally in New Haven, you have to pay about 450 That allows you to vend in any area of the city where it's legal. It has to be either in an, a business or an industrial zone um, without paying any additional fee. However, the highest demand areas are what we call the special vending districts. These are specific geographical locations where we charge you an additional amount of money to be there uh, for a, a set spot, typically. And in return, we use those funds. We don't make money on the deal. What we do is we put that money back into that enforcement, marketing, and a lot of um, cleaning and maintenance down Long Wharf in particular because it's such a high-intensity um, area. So we charge uh, food trucks $2,500 a year, uh, and we charge food carts $1,000 a year. And you can pay that all at once. You can pay it semi-annually. You can pay it quarterly. Most people pay it quarterly uh, to make it easier to pay. And in return, you get an assigned location in one of those special vending districts. So that's there are desirable locations. We've got wait lists, I think, in all except downtown. We have a wait list. So they're desirable areas for people to vend. They give it a shot, and they tend to do pretty well. They tend to do pretty well. This is where we live on the phone with me, Steve Fontana, New Haven's Deputy Economic Development Director, as we uh, focus in on food trucks and uh, foodie culture. Uh, New Haven has uh, several districts, as Steve mentioned, including Long Wharf, where uh, uh, business owners can operate food trucks, also uh, food carts around uh, the city. If you're down in New Haven uh, and you own a food truck, you can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. I wanted to take a quick call. Uh, Tom is calling. Tom is actually Tom Sobosinski, who runs the cheese truck in New Haven with his brother. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So, Tom, oh, we were just uh, getting the rundown from Steve from the city of New Haven about uh, the food truck industry. Tell us about uh, why you started your food truck and what's been your experience. Uh, yes, yeah, so my brother Jason and I had a KCS Bistro uh, about 10 years ago, and uh, we decided to open the grilled cheese truck. So we could offer, uh, you know, take our product to the road and offer a uh, more approachable price point for students and um, also use it as a marketing tool. So we had the restaurant first uh, and then opened the truck a year later. So this is our ninth summer uh, on the road, uh, almost nine and a half (laughs) uh, season on the road. Uh, So it's pretty exciting. We've been vending in New Haven for quite a while. So it sounds like there's a lot of work to, to operate restaurants, but now you're, all, you're also having these uh, food trucks as well. I mean, why uh, also operate those? What are some of the challenges for you, Tom? Um, definitely, uh, as we were talking about before, logistics with maintaining a vehicle and, and a generator and staffing, um, you know, challenges, definitely the permits for different towns. Um, you know, all that stuff. But it's just a great tool to get your brand out, do some catering, do some marketing, and 
go to fun events, meet new people and, and share your products and share your story. So I, I've really enjoyed the food truck and just getting out, going to breweries, just, you know, everywhere. Uh, we've catered people's weddings and, and parties, and then they really think, you know, they, they were part of their memory. So that's really cool. Uh, we just learned about these uh, vending districts and how licenses uh, are given out. I mean, what's your take uh, with the way uh, New Haven um, deals with food truck operators like yourselves? So, yeah, as I said, we've, we've been in New Haven uh, for quite a few years. Um, I, I like the vending districts. I think I, I see why there was a need for them. Um, the big problem that we've had uh, this season is that, you know, the whole point of being a food truck for us was being on wheels. So um, we used to move around the city more, and, you know, sometimes we'd go over to York Street, sometimes we'd be on Grove, um, and now we're basically stuck in one spot. And there is a benefit to that is that people know – that that's our spot and they can hopefully find us there. Um, but we used to be able to sort of create more hype by moving around a bit more. So now we feel like, um, you know, during the school year, we're right on Yale's campus, which is great. But during the summer, during Christmas vacation, during some of those times, um, we used to have a lot more options. And now um, there's a very big part of the year where, where our spot is really not that great. Mm. So that's the one downfall, I would say, to the assigned spaces. Well, Tom, thank you for giving us a little perspective from your experience. Uh, Tom Sobosinski, again, who runs the the grilled cheese uh, food truck in New Haven. Uh, Steve Fontana, I'm just wondering um, if you can add to that or respond to uh, what Tom said about maybe feeling stuck in a certain spot, uh, given the fact that it's better sometimes to move around for business. Well, that's one of the trade-offs we had to grapple with. And that was actually one of the issues that we found when we first started looking at trying to do what we could to fix it. What we found is that there were lots of vendors who would prep their food in the early morning and then drive down to New Haven, circling around downtown, looking for vacant parking spaces where they could park to sell. And obviously, if you don't park and sell, you've prepped all that food for nothing. So what we'd find is people doing a lot of extra circuits around the downtown, competing for spots, trying to get there earlier, uh, perhaps not parking legally in some cases. This wasn't true of Tom and his brother, but others. Um, getting into fights um, and obviously upsetting brick-and-mortar restaurants because if you have a, a truck pull up right in front of your restaurant and they're selling your same product for 5 or $10 less, it's going to impact your business. So what we said is, and we actually looked at what a lot of other places do, including Hartford, but New York City, Boston, D.C., even Oakland, um, and what we found is there's this balance that we can tr- we can strike. Where, as Tom said, if you're in one spot all the time, your customers can find you. The downside is how often are they they're going to be eating uh, grilled cheese in this case um, on a weekly basis? So it was one of the trade-offs that we had to deal with. We did create a mechanism for two vendors to share locations. So let's say Tom and his brother wanted to do. Uh, certain days, and they could find somebody else who take other days. Um, we created a mechanism where they could share the location. This worked well for guys who do like ice cream or cookies. Uh, you don't want ice cream every day of the week, but maybe you'd like it a couple days a week, or a couple of days you'd like cookies. So we tried to create a mechanism where people weren't wouldn't be locked specifically into a certain location, but they could alternate. But we needed to know where they were going to be to manage that, because otherwise there was just too much controversy and and stress and making it just very, very hard to enforce when you didn't know where people were going to be on a given day. 
This is where we live here on Connecticut Public Radio. We're learning more about the food truck industry. Uh, Tom, if you're still there, I, I'm just curious if you could respond to what Steve was saying about some of the, the different uh, workarounds or why the city has taken that stance. Uh, yeah, you know, I definitely understand um, the need for the spaces. I do appreciate every time we pull up um, our spot is reserved. Um, we we have circles for parking in years past, um, you know, and dealt with, with meters and stuff. So it is nice to pull up and have an assigned spot. Um, you know, so we see that benefit and uh, owning a brick and mortar as well. I wouldn't want a truck to pull up right in front of my place. Um, so we do see those sides of it. Um, in the recent uh, past, I was told we could not share spaces with other vendors. Um, so I don't know if, if that rule has changed. I'll have to revisit that. Um, but, you know, in general, I do think the city's headed in the right direction. I just still think there's some fine tuning we could do to the rules so that some of the trucks can swap around a bit more and offer some variety. Because um, a lot of people who message me say they have a 30 or 40 minute lunch break and, you know, they can't walk across town, even though you can walk across New Haven in just a few minutes. But, um, you know, so I think there's still some fine tuning that can be done. And we've also we've come a long way. It's a lot better than it was. I will. I will agree with that for sure. Well, thanks again, uh, Tom Sobosinski, for calling in. Uh, Steve Fontana, um, you know, before we let you go, I'm, I'm curious when we think about Long Wharf, it's such a, a variety of cultures uh, and people that are um, selling uh, their food down there. And is that typical of food truck operators? It's a, a classic way for uh, immigrants to, to start their American dream, so to speak. Yes, Lucy, I'm glad you asked that question. That's what we found is that when you think about the history of the United States, at least for the last 100, 150 years or so, you think about immigrants who came to this country and began their ascent into the middle class through food. You think about Italian-Americans now and how they made bakeries, which led to pizza. You think about um, Asian-Americans, Chinese-Americans, what they did. Now you see Thai, uh, and you also see an increasing number of people bringing their cuisines from the Caribbean and Central and South America. And I think you're right. The, the price point to get into doing this is much lower than a brick-and-mortar restaurant. Um, carts can range from five to like $20,000 if they're all tricked out. Trucks can start around 20 and go up to maybe 50, 60, 70, depending on how big they are. But the bottom line is the investment threshold is much lower than if it is if you want to sign a lease and start hiring employees uh, in a brick-and-mortar location. So it's a great uh, intermediate step between cooking in your kitchen or catering to doing a brick and mortar. And I think um, we want to have a, a means as a society for people to continue to move into the middle class. And I can just tell you in New Haven, it's just a tremendous influx constantly of new immigrant communities with their own cuisines. Uh, we had an event just this past week where we had Syrian uh, immigrants offering what they were doing. We had uh, a young woman from Israel doing entirely vegan food. And it's just, it, it's just exciting, and it really makes the culture and the place so much richer. And so um, we just think it's a great opportunity for people to uh, offer what they do, put a smile on people's faces. And as you said, when you're down a long wharf on a sunny day and the weekend in the summer, you've got all this choice and you've got the water and it's just beautiful. Uh, Steve, uh, we got a Facebook comment from Tracy who said she's originally from Salt Lake City looking to start a food vending service. And um, she's wondering, you know, certain places you can permit per county. Obviously, Connecticut doesn't operate that way. But even our previous guest, uh, G. Tran, mentioned some kind of umbrella permit to help business owners so they're not paying for specific, uh, depending on which city or town. Is that even viable here? 
conceivably. I mean, I think we'd have to do that through the state. Uh, it would require a lot of cooperation or coordination. Uh, typically, in my experience, every health district is very specific about wanting to ensure that that particular trucker cart meets its own uh, requirements and uh, regimen. So they're really reluctant, I think, in some cases to accept the determination of another district where they are not familiar with how um, strict they are. So it's possible. It would take some work. Obviously, I'm game to work on it. There are others who'd like to do that, but it's not something that's easily done, I would say. Connecticut, the land of steady habits. But Steve Fontana, we thank you for coming on today here on Where We Live. New Haven's Deputy Economic Development Director, he helped overhaul the city's food vending rules back in 2017. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Lucy. Coming up on Where We Live, have you heard about the Gastro Park opening in West Hartford? We're going to tell you more right after the break. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. is a food truck it shows up at the curb place your order it's better than you've heard love is a food truck everybody's in queue what's the big attraction this is where we live from connecticut public radio i'm lucy nalpathanchel on monday we're going to start talking with some candidates uh, running for mayor before the primary we're going to start with mayor tony harp in the city of new haven she's going to be in studio with us and we want to hear from you too that's on monday here on where we live now we've been hearing from food truck operators today as we explore this popular part of the food industry as we've learned cities and towns have had to find ways to uh, carve out corners for food trucks to operate without drawing uh, criticism or complaints from residents or even restaurant owners where we hear that later this year west hartford will have a food truck park in the new park neighborhood i believe the man behind that venture joins me now in studio tate norden who's also a local food truck owner i believe the food truck's called iron and grain uh tate welcome to the show oh thank you very much for having me so uh, iron and grain when did you open up that food truck uh we opened up back in 2015 and what's it been like for you uh, it's been an interesting experience. Uh, it's an adventure for sure. Um, there's a lot of ups, a lot of downs, um, you know, but as you progress, you know, uh, each year kind of presents a new challenge that you thought, oh man, it, it kind of makes everything else seem easy. So, you know, it's, it's certainly rewarding, but, um, it's 24 seven. Yeah. When you say a, a new challenge, so give me an example of something that pops up that you have to deal with. Well, when we first actually built our truck. So our truck is a 1959 Chevy Viking flatbed truck that we bought in Alabama and restored and essentially turned into a mobile bar and grill. Um, So we have a liquor license and a wood-fired grill. But during the build-out phase, um, we had a lot of issues. And, uh, you know, at the time, those seemed like the most daunting challenges in the world. You know, flash forward to 2019 and Mm -hmm. some of the challenges that you face when trying to launch a a brick-and-mortar concept or a physical location like the food truck park will be, or the gastro park, as we're calling it. Um, You know, it it puts a lot of things in perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the gastro park sounds like a great idea. So tell us where it's going to be located and, you know, where you got this idea from. Well, it's going to be located at 637 New Park Avenue. Uh, That's the southern area of New Park, kind of just below where um, Hartford Baking Company is, right across from the new 616 um, apartments and where the fast track is on the Mm -hmm. southern portion. So we're basically just above New Britain Avenue. Um, and really, the, the jumping off point was was inspired from my experience as a mobile food vendor with Iron and Grain. I quickly realized that um, 
you know, there was an opportunity and there was also a problem because really, as some of the previous uh, segments mentioned, there really is an infrastructure problem. Uh, more and more food trucks are coming out onto the market every single year. Um, it's becoming a very popular type of business to launch. But, um, you know, if we don't create more public venues that are viable and set up vendors for success, um, I think we're going to see the market become oversaturated. And so that's one of our goals with the Gastro Park is to provide um, a venue that can be a small business hub that entrepreneurs can either use to launch, grow, or build, you know, an existing business. And then also to create a venue where the community can come together and bond over food and games and drink and kind of break down barriers in a way that's a little more socially laid back. So when I think about a gastro park, so do you have several food trucks parked there? Does it rotate so that everybody who has a chance, because there are a lot of food trucks, I mean, how do you choose who's going to be there? Absolutely. So, you know, one of our biggest missions at the Gastro Park is to become curators, curators of good food, curators of good drink. So we'll have up to four food trucks on site every day. Um, Obviously, if you come on a Wednesday during lunchtime, you know, there might only be two trucks. But weekends, you know, during the, the peak times, we hope to have four trucks. And that will rotate on a daily basis. So you could come on a Saturday and you could see four trucks. And then you could come the following day and you could see four completely new trucks. So we really want to highlight a lot of great local businesses. Obviously, we're going to listen to market demand and see who kind of the most sought after people are. And we also want to place consideration on working with trucks that are supporting other local small businesses, farmers and other makers and things like that. that that's certainly an important part of our mission. I'm curious uh, what the zoning process has been like for you in West Hartford. Uh, what are some of the challenges or barriers? To, um, has that impacted your open date, so to speak, for Gastro Park? Yes, very much so. Um, zoning has probably probably been the biggest challenge that we've we've had to overcome. Uh, we first brought this concept to um, West Hartford, or the, the idea of it at least, back in 2016. Um, and we've been steadily working on getting the zoning amended because previously food trucks and food truck parks were would not be allowed. Um, so, you know, we constructed a, a, a piece of zoning that allowed food truck parks in the New Park Avenue industrial corridor. Mm-hmm. But even within that, there's a lot of zoning restrictions in terms of how you can operate a business. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, if I if I knew then what I knew now, you know, maybe uh, maybe we'd be in a different position. But it's certainly uh, the, the state does not make it easy from a zoning perspective. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have an infrastructure problem. There's a lot of local towns and municipalities that, um, for lack of a better term, they just need to be educated about food trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think food trucks are the boogeyman, and it means that it's going to shut down restaurants. Mm-hmm. But you know, the economics of scale are just different. A food truck is never going to be able to sell as much food as a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So you know, if, if a food truck can really put a dent in a, in a, in a restaurant's uh, bottom line, you know, they need to kind of go ahead and look at their own product. I think, but there's no reason because it's happening all over the country. Food trucks, food truck parks, and brick-and-mortar restaurants are, are peacefully coexisting in a lot of different areas. What about our residents? Um, you said that it's in an industrial park, so maybe that's not an issue where people are like, well, I don't really want a bunch of food trucks parked near my house. Absolutely. And that's certainly understandable for sure. I mean, the same reason why you wouldn't necessarily put down a brick-and-mortar restaurant in a residential neighborhood. 
Um, I love our site. I think it's perfect. It's it's tucked away from a lot of housing. Um, it's it's certainly next to some mixed use developments. But I think people who are living in those type of establishments understand and they want those type of amenities to be walkable. I mean, anybody who's going to live in one of these new complexes that's being built uh, for housing along basically throughout the entire area, I think is going to have a huge benefit in terms of being able to take a quick walk to the down to the gastro park, choose from a number of different types of cuisine, you know, play a game of bocce ball, maybe read a book, uh, sit by our fire pit. So it's, it's going to provide a place that people can kind of call a third space is kind of the way I put it. You know, we have our house, we have our home, and then we need these other areas that we just don't kind of pass through. We need to be able to spend meaningful moments in. And that's, that's our goal for the gastro park. Now, and if you want a beer with your taco, can you get it? Yes, yes. <laughs> So that's part of the other zoning uh, process that we've been working on. Um, so out upon opening, we will have a beer and wine liquor license. So people will be able to come down, enjoy a local cla- uh, craft beer, have a glass of wine, grab a taco, um, you know, grab a salad, grab a grilled cheese. And I, that's one of the biggest things that people are most excited about, about the gastro park is we have people telling us constantly, the hardest thing besides, you know, figuring out price point when a family is trying to pick a uh, eatery mm-hmm. is mom wants something, the kids want something else, dad wants something else. So this is going to provide, you know, basically one-stop shopping for a family and make it more affordable for them. Well, Tate Norton, the big question now is when is it opening? So our goal we're targeting is for the fall. Currently, our special use permit application is under review. Um, so the fastest we would be able to get our permit is August 5th. So assuming that happens, we would then be able to go and do certain improvements to our property that we aren't allowed to do under the current use. So realistically, we're looking at probably you know a, a September time frame. Well, it sounds like a, a great idea. We appreciate you coming in. Tate Norton, who I believe operates Iron and Grain, uh, the food truck, and now has been working uh, in West Hartford to open up Gastro Park, uh, an area where you'll see a bunch of food trucks and, and other uh, activities. Tate, thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. Today's show produced by Scott Breedy. It's actually his last show for Where We Live. We've really enjoyed working with him here on uh, Where We Live, and I hope that you get to see a lot of sunsets at Race Point Beach. Uh, we'll miss you, Scott. Uh, today's show produced by Kion Wolf. Special thanks to Lydia Brown. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. As always, thanks for listening.